All right. Good morning, Ignite. Wow, I paid Pastor Steve to say all that good stuff about me, so he really made me feel good. I am so uh, blessed to be here with you this morning, and I do want to acknowledge your pastor again, a wonderful uh, man of God, a wonderful leader uh, of this Ignite Church. And I see why I call Ignite now, because you all have ignited the Holy Spirit in this, in this place. Let it be known that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Uh, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head of my life. And I stand uh, not only at the cross, but for the cross to proclaim his love throughout, throughout the world. So I am privileged and honored to be here with you this morning to open God's word and to share with you what thus saith the Lord. So if you have your Bibles, and I know they will be uh, casting the scriptures on the screen, if you turn with me to 1 John chapter number 4, and I'll read a couple verses for you, uh, for your hearing, uh, verses 19, 20, and 21, for it will constitute the context for which we're about to teach and preach, but due to the length of the text uh, and the limitation on our time, I will just shine the sermonic spotlight on these few verses. Is that all right? Say all right. Good. First John chapter 4, uh, verses 19 through 21, here's what the Word of God says. It said, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, and I'm going to add sister, he or she is a liar. For he or she who does not love his brother or sister whom he or she has seen cannot love God whom he or she has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whomever loves God must also love his brother and his sister. And predicated upon this passage of scripture, what we would like to use as a sermonic topic this morning is what love got to do with it? What's love got to do with it? Look at, look at someone sitting next to you and say, neighbor, that's okay. You can talk. God's not going to be mad. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Say neighbor. Say neighbor. What's love got to do with it? Let us pray. Shall we pray? I have only just a minute, only 60 seconds in it, forced up on me, can't refuse it, didn't seek it, and didn't choose it. But it's up to me to use it. I must suffer if I lose it. Give an account if I abuse it. Just a tiny little minute, but eternity is in it. Speak, Lord, during this sacred hour. Let us hear thy voice and feel thy touch of power. Anoint me with a fresh anointing as I stand before your people. Use me, Lord God, right now to glorify and magnify your name. Use me to edify and encourage your people. Use me to terrify the devil and disqualify each and every one of his demons. This is my prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake and by the power of the blood, I pray. Amen. Amen. What's love got to do with it? Young man wrote a letter to his ex-girlfriend, ex-fiancée. And the content of that letter read something like this. Dear Priscilla, no words could ever express the deep unhappiness I've felt since breaking off our engagement. Please say you forgive me and that you will take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart. I miss you and I love you. Eternally yours, Billy. P.S. Oh, by the way. Congratulations for winning the lottery. <laughs> What's love got to do with it? Many of us, if not most of us, that make up the baptized body of believers 
have from time to time heard of songs and sermons, if you will, that deals with and somewhat define love in a Christian context. The apostle of love, known as John, the son of Zebedee, continues to lift up the lesson on love. John gives us to know that not only in this letter, but in his gospel, that the main main ingredient that defines, describes, and demands how we should behave as believers is, is love. Say love, somebody. There are scholars who take the position that John, the beloved disciple of our Lord and Savior, was around when Jesus was being tested by one of the Pharisees with the question found in Matthew's gospel, chapter 22 and verse 36. Teacher, which is the greatest of the law? At which time Jesus responded according to verse 37. He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, a brief exegetical explanation will help us to understand what the Pharisees were trying to do in trapping Jesus. Down through the years, the Jewish teachers had set up over 600 commandments, and and since no one could keep them all, conflict and confusion would cause the people to ask, which commandment should absolutely be obeyed? Which commandment were detrimental to their well-being and which were not? Which commandment were important and which were not? The people had decided and differed for themselves which ones were important and which ones weren't. Some took the position that circumcision was the most important. Some took the position that offering sacrifices was the most important. Some took the position that keeping the Sabbath was the most important. By raising this question, the Pharisees were gambling that Jesus would identify one of the outlined laws as more serious than the others. And thus, he would forfeit his favor with his following. But Jesus, being the eternal expositor and cosmic commentator that he was, he took the law to another level by defining and dipping into another dimension with the words that consummate all of the commandments when he said, First, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus then punctuated uh, this providential point by saying, all the law and the prophets hang on these commandments. In other words, Jesus sagaciously summarizes the substance of all that God has ever said, all that God has ever done with the law of love. In our text for today, the apostle of love, John, extends this eternal exposition by adding in our text for this morning, 1 John, if you will, chapter 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. 
So the question that has been asked down through the ages as it has been asked today, what is love? What is love? See, we can no more define the essence of love than we can define the essence of God. Why? Because love is just as omnipotent as God. Love is just as omnipresent as God. Love is just as omniscient as God. So to know love is to know God, and to know God is to know love. Why? Why? Because God is love. So we look at this and say our capacity to love as Christians come from God. Our conduct to love comes from God. Our character to love comes from God. A person who does not love does not know God, and a person who does not know God cannot love. This is why I take the position with the quote, a heart that is empty of love is a heart that is empty of God. But permit me to pause here parenthetically to remind those of us who make up the citizens and the constituency of Christianity that there are three Greek words used for love. I love the Greeks. The Greeks have a word for everything. I love them. I love them. But in the Greek language, there's a word we know that is eros. And eros is that sensual or that sexual kind of love. Eros is a romantic love that that when you think about your beloved, your heart skips a beat. You can't eat. You can't sleep. You sit on the phone, just listen to each other's breathe all night long. A young man was sitting at the supper table one evening, and he said to his father, he said, Dad, I'm ready to get married. The father looked at his son and asked, how do you know you're ready to get married, son? And the boy father went on to ask, are you in love? And the son readily replied, I sure am, Dad. And the father continued to question his son regarding the serious subject, how do you know you're in love? And the boy said, he said, I was, I, was, I was at the time the son looked at his dad with gleaming, glistening in his eyes and responded, after I took my girlfriend home, I came home, I climbed up the door, I shut the stairs, I said to my shoes, and I took off my prayers, I turned off the bed and crawled into the light, and it was all because she kissed me goodnight. I'm in love. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with romantic love. If it is practiced within the proper and righteous context, why? What is that right and proper context? A marital relationship between one man and one woman. Romantic love is reserved and restricted for this and only this kind of love relationship. God intended for love to be reserved and restricted according to his providential plan for marriage. Uh, The second Greek word for love is filial. And filio, uh, I want you to keep in mind that this kind of love is a brotherly love. It's a friendship love. It's a love that say, I love you because you love me. But here it is well, Ignite. Don't love me because you need me, but need me because you love me. Ah, uh, the third Greek word for love is agape. And this word for love did not exist prior to the Christian era. It was a Greek term that was coined after when you look at 1 John 4 and 20, which says, we say we love God, but then what happened is uh, we do not practice that love with our brothers or sisters. He said, if you do that, then you're not truthful, for you cannot love God 
whom you have not seen, if you do not love your brother or sister whom you see every day. So it has been said that most people don't love others because they don't love themselves. To a large degree, that is true because it's also true that some people don't love others because they love themselves too much. And at the end of the day, most of us don't love one another because we don't love God. So the reason we glean from our text and our topic today on love, what's love got to do with it? That's a somatic question. That's the hypothesis. That's the word. We've got the answer. So let's break it down for you. Number one, what does love have to do with it? We can conclude love should be all about God's commandment. All about God's commandment. So when you read John chapter 14, verse 15, the Lord said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Read John 15 and 12. The Lord said, this is my commandment, that you what? That you love one another as I have loved you. We are commanded to love one another. So let's look at what is one another. What is one another? How do we define who one another is? Well, we are commanded to love our fellow Christian siblings. In other words, we are brothers and sisters in the family of God. So in 1 John 4 and 21, he said, and this commandment we have from him, that, we, that he or she who love God love also his brother and his sister. So when we look at John 13 and 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, preacher, why is this important? It's important because we have a common family. It's important because we have common faults. It's important because we have common future with God. Not only do we, are we commanded to love our fellow Christian siblings, but we are commanded to love our critics, synonymous enemies. So when you read Luke 6 and 27, but I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. You see, Christ died for our enemies too. Christ desires for their salvation too. Christ depends on us to reach out to them in love too. Not only our Christian siblings, not only our critics, but we are commanded to love our companions, our spouses. So when we read Ephesians 5:25, he said, Husband, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it. Notice, he never said wives love your husband because women, wives, have the propensity to love. It is innate within them. But brothers, we have a hard time struggling with that. So God had to say it three times. Love your wife, knucklehead. Love your wife, knucklehead. Love your wife, stupid. Why? Because our spouses are not our companions. They are our companions, not our competitors. Our spouses are our completion. Our spouses are part of our covenant, and they're not a contract. Why? Love will help us to deal with the difficulties of marriage. Love, this thing called love, he said love will help us to deal with the demands of marriage. Love will help us to deal with the duration of marriage. We are commanded also to love our children. Psalm 127, verse 3. 
Lo, children are inheritance from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Now, my wife and I have seven children and ten grandchildren. I struggle with this particular text here about love for children. Because sometimes as a dad, I wasn't feeling love for my children. But it is God who said, if we love our children, we will raise them in the admonition of the Lord. If we love our children, we will educate them in the love of the things of God as we were educated in the love and the things of God. Not only that, but love should be not only the commandment of God, but love also should be about our commitment. So in John chapter 15 and verse 13, the text reads, Greater love has no man, and I add woe man, than this, that that man or woman shall lay down his life for his friends. First John chapter 3 verse 16, the text reads, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. So this commitment to love should be sacrificial. Just as Christ gave himself, we should give of ourselves. Not only sacrificial, but love should be selfless. We should consider others' interests above our own. Love then should, should, should be submissive. And this commitment to love should be satisfying and sanctifying. Ah, if you really want to understand what this type of commitment to love is all about, the next time you eat breakfast and you have bacon and eggs, the chicken was involved, but the pig was committed. He gave up his life. <laughs> That's commitment. Thirdly, love should be about our concern for others. How concerned for others? First John chapter 3, 17 through 18, the writer says, For whoso hath this world's goods, see his brother or sister who have need, and shut it up his bowels of compassion from him or her that dwelleth the love of God in him. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 13. Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. So my brothers and sisters, our concern for others should be demonstrated through our attitudes. Our love for others and our concern for others should be demonstrated through our acceptance. Our love for others should be, and concern for others should be demonstrated through our actions. I was umpiring as an umpire, U-triple-S-A and A-S-A. And I was umpiring a softball game one summer, and there were two teams... Uh, the home team, and then there was the visiting team. But there was this one guy on the home team that gave me the blues all game long. No matter what I call, if I call a strike, he argued. If I call a ball, he argued. I could not make any right calls according to this guy. It was the bottom of the seventh inning. I want you to know there is a God. The home team was down by one point. This guy came up to bat, Pastor Steve. He was the tie and run. And I said to myself, anything close, I'm calling a strike. Anything close. He steps up into the batter box. I give the signal to the pitcher, play ball. And in softball, the legal height of a pitch should be between 6 and 12 feet. If the pitcher released the ball, I watched it, watched it, regulation height, came across the plate, hit the catcher's mitt, strike! That's one. 
See, anything close, I'm calling strikes. Because this guy gave me the blues the whole game. Pitch, get the ball back, gets in his pitching stance, releases the ball. I watch it, I watch it, I watch it. It descends down. The batter then swing, hit the pitchers, the catcher, strike two. I see, yep. Like taking candy from a baby, giving talking about me all game long. We getting ready to go to the house, take it to the house. Pitcher gets the ball. Batter standing in the box. Aluminum bat. He looks back at me, spat on the ground near my umpire shoes. Kept my composure because God is good. I said, anything close. <laughs> game over. Pitcher gets the ball. It was like in the Matrix. It was slow motion. I watched that ball. I watched it. I watched it. Yeah, I'm getting ready to pump him out. I'm going to dance on this one here. He doesn't swing. Ball calms down. Batter steps into the ball. All I heard was leather and metal. Ding! I watched the ball. I watched the ball going going, going, gone. I had to give the home run signal, watching the bat around the bases, first base, second base, third base, watch them come across, and as soon as he touched home plate, batter's out! Coach, batter, runs up to me. Mr. Umpire, why are you calling him out? Why is he out? He hit a home run. Because he did not touch first base. He didn't touch first base. And brothers and sisters, what will it be like when we get into heaven after preaching and teaching and witnessing and building churches in the name of Jesus Christ and God calls us out? And we ask the question, God, why are you calling me out? Because you didn't love your neighbor. God, why are you calling me out? Because you didn't love and pray for your enemies. Aren't we glad that Jesus hit a home run for us when he hung blood on the cross that when we get into home, he can call us safe if we repent and confess our sins and we're able to inherit eternal life with Jesus Christ because as he hung and bled on that cross, listen, it wasn't the nails that kept Christ on the cross. It was his love. It was his love. It was his commandment of God to love. His, his, his concern for us and his commitment for us as sinners. That's why we sing the song, I was sinking deep in sin, far from a peaceful shore, very deeply staying within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the waters heard my despairing cry, from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me, love lifted me when nothing else could help, love lifted me. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for his total sufficiency. And yet while we were sinning, Christ died on the cross for us. Lord, we thank you for your love, your agape love, that love that says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We thank you today, God. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the soon coming Christ who take us to live with him forever. Question. What love has to do with it? Everything. And the people of God said amen.